and welcome to this edition of TBU Bat Books for Beginners, episode 163. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book, Chris and I are going to be covering, is Identity Crisis. This covers the issues of Identity Crisis numbers 1 through 7. Chris, tell us a little bit about these books. Thank you very much, Jerry. Hello, Bat fans. Thank you for downloading. Identity Crisis was originally released as a monthly seven-issue limited series. The first issue was cover dated August 2004, and if you're keeping score at home, you know that me and Jerry are still covering books that had <laughs> original material released in 2004 at the moment. Yeah. Single issue had a cover price of $3.95. The first collected volume came out the following year, and this story has gone through numerous subsequent printings and hardcover and trade paperback formats. Most recently, last year, when DC Comics came out with a trade paperback, it had a cover price of $19.99 for 288 pages. However, online vendors have it for considerably less, and Amazon.com is offering this for $10.87 at the time of this recording. This story has also been uh, released in Comixology. Our creative team is as follows, and I'll go off some personal recollections and online resources. The story was written by Matt Brad Meltzer. Rags Morales was the penciler. Inks were done by Michael Baer. Ken Lopez was the letterer. Alex Sinclair did the cover work. Michael Turner, who was mentioned in a previous podcast that Jerry and I covered, Superman, Batman, uh, the Supergirl trade paperback, did the cover work for the individual issues. And his magnificent artwork is reproduced in the volume of the trade paperback that Jerry and I read. Mm-hmm. Morales and Baer did the artwork on the cover of the trade paperback, but Turner also did as well, depending on which version of the reprinted volume that you have. Now, I first encountered Rex Morales' work in the early 90s when he worked in the DC Comics title Black Condor, and I was very impressed. Rags Morales was born Ralph Morales. He intended the Joe Kubert School of Art. His first professional work came on the Forgotten Realms title of the TSR line of books. Prior to Identity Crisis, Morales worked on the variant, uh, Valiant, excuse me, Valiant titles Turok, uh, Archer and Armstrong, and the Geomancer. He also worked on Our Man, JSA, and Hawkman. While working on Identity Crisis, Morales used a lot of reference materials and based characters off of the faces of celebrities and other notable people. More on that when Jerry and I discuss our thoughts on the story. Most recently, Morales did the artwork on the first 18 issues of Action Comics back in 2011 during the new 52 relaunch. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any recent credits. Brad Meltzer was a comics fan at an early age, and he's one of the more prolific writers we're going to be covering. Now, according to Wikipedia, Brad Meltzer was born April 1st, 1970, making him 47 years old. He grew up in Brooklyn, New York. He moved to South Florida when he graduated from North Miami Beach Senior High in 1988. He earned a degree from the University of Michigan, and his immediate family uh, went on to attend. He was the first of the immediate family to attend college. In 93, Meltzer uh, moved to Beacon Hill, Boston, and then he had a roommate who was a fellow comic book writer and artist, and that would be Judd Winnick. And they were working on sales at Games Magazine by day while working on his first novel by night. Afterwards, Meltzer graduated from Columbia Law School, and he was selected to the Columbia Law Review. Meltzer has the distinction of having books on the bestseller list for fiction, Nonfiction, advice, children's books, huh. and comic books. 
He did a one-shot, which won an Eisner Award for uh, Justice League of America, and he's also given TED Talks. Mm. Now, as far as comics go, before Identity Crisis, Brad Meltzer did a story arc on Green Arrow. After Identity Crisis, he did a story arc on Dark Horse's Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 2010. Uh, Brad Meltzer, I think it's fair to say he might be one of the more recognizable writers you'll encounter. Uh, Meltzer hosted the History Channel series, Brad Meltzer's Decoded, and that aired from December 2nd, 2010 to January 20th, 2012. Meltzer has a new show on History's H2 Network called Brad Meltzer's Lost History, which premiered last Halloween, October 31st, 2014. Uh, Lost History presents both solved and unsolved cases and success stories where Americans have helped find missing historic objects, such as the Ground Zero flag from 9-11, and the original Wright Brothers flying machine patent. Huh. I, I would be a little remiss if I didn't cover one of the characters that we're going to be talking about later. One of the main characters in the story is the villain Dr. Light. Mm-hmm. I feel compelled to give a little bit of background here. Dr. Light first appeared in Justice League of America, Volume 1, Number 12, cover date June 1962, and he was created by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. Coincidentally, it was a back issue that my father got for me during a business trip to Minnesota when I was a kid. He was a sporadic but regular, he would have sporadic but regular appearances, and he, he would be what I would consider a major Justice League of America villain. In the mid-70s, Dr. Light even took on the Teen Titans when that title came back at issue number 44 after being on hiatus for a few years. He would still be a threat to the Teen Titans, even going into the early 80s when the title became the new Teen Titans, and he formed a group of, with other villains called the Fearsome Five. In the latter part of the decade, though, his villainy status would decline greatly, and he became something of a joke, suffering one defeat after the next. And one of his more humiliating defeats, uh, he was captured by a, a gang of little heroes called uh, Little Boy Blue and the Blue Boys, which happened in oh. Flash number 12. Yes, yes. Now, keep in mind, I think this character element will come into play with the story itself. Yeah. Uh, off the top of my head, I, I just can't think of uh, any appearances in DC's Rebirth. I, I'm just not aware of any. Mm-hmm. Now, as for Identity Crisis and the story itself, I think now is the moment where I'll address the elephant in the room and forewarn our listeners that this story recap and our discussion of Identity Crisis will deal with some heavy topics, mm-hmm. such as rape, murder, betrayals, and character retcons. Yeah. I don't think we necessarily have to advise listener discretion, but I do want to just put that out there just in case. This will likely be one of the more controversial stories that Jerry and I will talk about. Interestingly, the collected series was selected by the Young Adult Library Services Association, and it was on 2007's recommended list of great graphic novels for teens. Wow, I didn't know that. (laughs) Yes, I'm a little shocked at that myself. I I had to give some thoughts to that. Now, there are 214 reviews on Amazon.com for this volume, and currently it sits at a 4.3 stars out of 5 rating. So, back to you, Jerry. Wow. Thanks, Chris. Really interesting. I appreciate that. And Chris and I are going to be talking about this story after a few messages from our friends. Do you enjoy movie scores? Do you like science fiction?
like fantasy. And do you like movies? Uh, uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, had a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? Well, I have a podcast for you. Soundtrack Alley. It's a podcast where I take you on a journey through the time of my childhood and beyond to give you a glimpse into the world of movies, science fiction, fantasy, and other films that touch me on a personal level. You'll also enjoy interviews from film composers from famous movies from the past or even current times. Enjoy the interaction I have with guests on my show every so often, and check out other shows that share in guest spots. So sit back, relax, and let the soundtrack world wash over you, and check out Soundtrack Alley. You'll love it. Welcome back. So let's get into the story of Identity Crisis. And as Chris mentioned earlier, this is a very mature story that deals with murder and there's a rape scene. And so just, you know, be forewarned as we go on. Sue Dibney is the beloved wife of Ralph Dibney, the elongated man. She's home alone preparing a party in which she is planning to reveal her pregnancy to Ralph. She hears a noise in the house, but suddenly collapses onto a table. A shadowy figure appears and comes up to her body and hits her with a flamethrower, incinerating her. Ralph arrives, arrives home later and finds her body and the pregnancy test. He is filled with anguish. Theirs was a deep and a true love. The Justice League springs into action to find Sue's killer. They can find no evidence of an intruder to the house. They're all concerned that someone is gunning for their loved ones. So Tim Drake sticks around his house to keep an eye on his father. The Adam, Ray Palmer, is keeping a lookout on his ex-wife, Jean Loring. The heroes fan out to investigate who might have wanted to kill Sue. A group of them stay behind, however. Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Zatanna... Black Canary, Flash, and the Atom. They believe that Dr. Light is the one that killed Sue. They recall a time when Dr. Light broke into the JLA satellite and sexually assaulted her. They subdued Light, who said that he would eventually find her and kill her. The assembled heroes used Zatanna's powers to wipe Light's memory and they changed his personality so he would never do anything like this again. This was a guilty secret they kept from the rest of the League. The group goes to visit Dr. Light in the present day, but he is protected by Deathstroke. They are finally able to subdue Deathstroke, but they find that Dr. Light wasn't the one that killed Sue. He just wasn't capable of it. Dr. Midnight is doing an autopsy on Sue's body, and it turns out that Sue didn't die from carbon monoxide poisoning like they thought. The burns were used to hide the real cause of death, which is still a mystery. Jean Loring is at her home, 
uh, with a noose around her neck. She was able to call Ray to let him know that she needed help before she was strung up. Ray is able to arrive in time to save her life. Again, there is no evidence of an intruder. However, the type of knot used in the noose was one used by Slipknot. Wonder Woman goes to the penitentiary where Slipknot is being held and uses her lasso of truth on him, but he knows nothing. Lois Lane gets a note saying that someone who someone knows who her husband is and that she is, quote, next. Ray Palmer is looking after his ex-wife, Jean. Through his concern with her well-being, they are brought closer together and they restart their physical relationship. At the Drake household, Tim heads out to search for the perpetrator of the crimes, leaving his dad, Jack, home alone. Jack finds a box with a gun and a note saying, protect yourself on the table. Someone breaks into the house. He's able to get word to Tim, and Batman turns the Batmobile around to head to his rescue. The invader is Boomerang. Jack shoots Boomerang dead, but not before he takes a boomerang in the chest. Both men are dead. As things settle down, Ollie tells Flash that when Sue was assaulted by Dr. Light, that Batman was also there. Batman was furious that they were mind-wiping Light, so they wiped Batman's memories of the event as well. This is information that could split the heroes apart. Batman visits the Calculator, who's the ringleader of a gang of crooks Boomerang was contracted by. He says that he doesn't know who ordered the Drake home invasion. However, someone else delivered the gun to Jack. Dr. Midnight makes a discovery and calls Batman. Sue died from a blood block in her brain. They get the high-powered microscope and see the microscopic brain injury. They also see teeny, teeny, tiny footprints next to the injured portion of the brain. The Adam, Ray Palmer, is at Jean's house. They are talking about Jack's death. Jean asks if they found out who wrote the Protect Yourself note. Ray realizes that that piece of information was withheld from the press. How does Jean know about it? Ray puts it together that Jean put on one of his old Adam suits and killed Sue. She was trying to make her, she was just trying to make her unconscious, but she went too far. Jean thought that if the loved ones of the superheroes were under attack, that Ray might come back to her. Which, as it turns out, he did. Jean has gone mad, and Ray has her sent to Arkham. The superheroes visit their loved ones and reaffirm their commitment to keeping them safe but Ralph struggles with the reality of Sue's absence. The end. So Chris and I are going to talk about our feelings of this about this story after these words from some of our friends. Trekker Talk. A fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. Whoa. 
we'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at trekkertalk.com. Welcome back. So, Chris, what did you think of this story? Well, Jerry, before I start, <laughs> let me tell you what some of my comics friends and acquaintances think of this story. I tell you, one of them I know uh, hates this story very much because during one incident, uh, when the heroes were looking for clues and whatnot, Firestorm, uh, one of the Greek DC heroes, was killed off, and he didn't care for that or the way it was depicted. One person I know loves it for the very graphic and intense fight with Deathstroke and that the Justice League uh, came and fought him and Green Arrow jabbed the arrow into one of Deathstroke's eyes. So one of them loves it for that. One person I know hates it because Zatanna mind-wiped Batman and now she forever hates the Zatanna character because of it. Mm. Now all that, and I haven't even mentioned the death of his father or the death of <laughs> Sue Dibney and the characterization of Gene Loring. Yeah. Now to say this is a polarizing piece of work might be a fair statement. Yeah. When I first saw that this was on our list of books to review, I thought this would be one of the more challenging things that we'd examine and there would be a lot of things to talk about here. There are things here that you've never seen addressed in the DCU before to this degree. There was a mask, which you think would have been addressed before, but not so much uh, to this uh, scope in the adult plausible way in the context of the story. Uh, we also have the issue of the sexual assault and rape committed by Dr. Light to Sue Dibney. This is sort of like a big Pandora's box that's been opened before, and I don't think it's been ever revisited since. There's a lot of compelling things in this, read, but it, they are difficult to consume. Mm-hmm. If someone told me they hated this book and gave me a reason, I, I certainly wouldn't fault them for that. I think there's a lot of valid things to dislike about this book. That said, uh, I did find the topics addressed, the nuances and the degrees of the Justice League and the uh, economy within the group and how the characters played off each other was, was very fascinating to look at. And just with the... Um, on the one hand, we had the identity issue. Now, would, wouldn't you think if a villain uh, incapacitated a hero that they would ask them to get their secret identity? Who wouldn't do that? And I think it's never been really broached before. I mean, you would think out of all these stories that have come out in the comic books, why, why hasn't this been addressed to this degree? And here, here Brad Meltzer accomplished it. And I think it's a very, very engrossing story to that level. That said, uh, we did have some... The, the, the laundry list of death here, which, which that is morbid to say, and please for, forgive me. Um, we, we have, uh, Sue Dibney and it's not just so much that this character died, but it was what happened to her beforehand. Uh, Sue Dibney, I don't know if there's anybody out there who sort of walked into this and said, Oh, it's elongated man's wife. I, I wasn't a reader of comic books in the sixties, but I did read the reprints of elongated man in the seventies. And I did like the adventures that they had. And if you even go forward into the 80s and 90s with uh, her work in Justice League International, the Ralph and Sue couple dynamic was one that was unique in the comics. This was a guy who basically knew what his role was in the DCU. He wasn't the most powerful character, but he he wanted to be a brilliant detective. He loved solving mysteries. And you see even Sue going to the trouble to create a party where there's going to be a mystery involved. And everybody's sort of in on it. And... Just seeing that, um, 
I can't. I, that that was part of the universe that I liked, and now 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 she was gone, and I really didn't like that. And and if in as much as so that you you also have this uh, way we get news of this sexual assault and rape. Now uh, I want to tell the readers it was depicted in a way that wasn't graphic, but enough of it was shown that you you got the implied gist of what went down. Definitely. So yeah, it was it was. It was done in that respect. If you're going to show it, they they they, they did it within boundaries hmm. for but what not, they were. But not without. They definitely showed the horror of it, but nothing. Oh, explicit. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And th- this is something that uh, I just don't know if it would ever go too far. I certainly would think, you know, if we're going to deal with superheroes in the quote quote unquote real world, this would be something that you would encounter, but. Boy, it was really, really an emotional uh, gut punch to see it here. Yeah, it's a tough. Thing. Now we also have the. It is a very, very much so. And on the flip side of it, we have Gene Loring. And I'm trying to recall. You know, was for for someone. I I, I just didn't know if I saw this coming. And I was trying to think of the character's history. If we had any invisible clues or any subtle clues that would lead her to get pushed over the edge. I always, when I think of Gene Loring, I always think of the classic Gil Kane panel in the Adam origin where, where um, Ray is lifting Sue on her shoulders and she's getting get pushed out of a thing there, right there. And you just saw the joy whenever I saw a Gil Kane depicted uh, Gene Loring. This was a character that I sort of grew to like. She was a brunette. She played off of Ray very well. Mm-hmm. As the character moved on to the 80s, we, we saw that she uh, did have an affair with somebody in a uh, another uh, the sort of the Adam uh, first miniseries where you saw that there was problems in the marriage and problems in the relationship. Oh, and going back to track two, I think she also suffered uh, one of the comics tropes of um, when there was uh, Adam and the Hawkman when that team uh, had shared their uh, title together briefly. Mm-hmm. You saw Gene depicted as a villain. And I think every, every that, that sort of was a standard trope where, you know, the uh, female becomes the baddie for the issue. You know, Supergirl turned into a witch in one issue. Lady Blackhawk became uh, 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 Lady Killer Shark or, or what have you, where there would be this sort of like persona where the, the female of the group that was loved, I think Lois Lane got turned into a monster in an issue of action comics in the 70s. You had these things where the, the, the love interest would be the baddie for, for, for a time. Mm-hmm. I just didn't see this coming where she would take it to such a level where she would have some kind of uh, mental health problem to such a breakdown to committing this act and thinking almost nothing of it just so she could win Ray back. Yeah. This There is a lot of stuff to unpack here. I mean... I, I, I would love for uh, this to be discussed as a book group as to how this impacted me versus you versus another reader because there is just a lot of, a lot of things to go on here. Sure is. I'd like to. Um, I'd love to get a, a woman's uh, interpretation of this. Yes, I, I think that you know the that Sue you know is shown very much as a victim and that. Uh, Gene is shown ultimately as crazy. So I don't think it, and, and Zatanna, right? She uses her powers to mind wipe, uh, Dr. Light. I don't think that this shows women in a particularly good light. That's a great point. Um, I, I just think there are some problems here that, that some readers would have with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's sort of pick it apart a little bit. Um, did you did the gene being a culprit and the murderer 
in this to fix your relationship? Did that seem plausible to you? Did it come off in a in a way that it seemed like credible? Did you see it coming? Were you shocked at at their revelation? I did not see it coming. Uh, it it was a shock. It uh, and that could be good, but I think in this case, I thought it was a little kind of random. I mean, I realized, you know, reading through it a couple of times that, you know, the pieces are there, right? The, uh, you know, uh, that Sue was killed, no intruder uh, was found. That then Jean, uh, I guess, um, um, made believe that she had been hung, no intruder was found. So I think it's plausible in terms of, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the retcon is clear, right? It's, uh, it, it wasn't made up as it goes along. It's just, you know, when it hit the end, it was like, really? This, it seems so, you know, for as uh, horrible an act it was for, for, uh, Gene to do it, you know, killing Sue and, and, uh, doing something that led to, to Tim's dad's death that, it just seemed like you're taking a character that I know people really love the Dibneys. And I know that she's a beloved character, not only to, uh, to elongated man, but you know, uh, to a lot of characters and just kind of, Oh, she's crazy. She killed all these people. And it's kind of taking a good character and kind of throwing it away. Now I, I realize that if you don't do that, then there's no stakes and there's no, um, uh, but, but to do it to get her husband back, it just seemed like such a terrible reason for, uh, to do this to, to that character. So, um, I, whereas I, I think it, I think it made sense from a, a narrative and plot, uh, standpoint. I'm just, it just doesn't do it for me. It just seemed a little silly that, you know, she loved uh, her husband so much that, uh, she's going to kill. She ends up killing all these people now. Uh, one thing that I, did you read, um, the latest version of Secret Six? Uh, the Gail Simone Secret Six, uh, that was done, I think it was about last year, where, uh, Ralph, uh, was reunited with Sue. No. Yeah. And, uh, I, I know that it was a pretty short-lived series. I think it only went maybe, I don't know, 12, 12 issues or something. Um, but yeah, she was, uh, uh, Gail Simone brought back Sue and, uh, and Ralph, you know, was reunited with her, uh, at least for a couple issues. So, uh, for those, uh, those fans of, of Ralph and Sue, check out Secret Six. It had its moments. Well, God bless Gail. Now, yeah. was it a, was it a just total, um, as if identity crisis ever happened. No, it did happened. They he acknowledged thought, anything. They did that. Uh, that Ralph thought that she was dead, uh, and it turns out, you know, there's some reason that she wasn't. Um, and she had hooked up with the Riddler uh, somehow. So, oh boy, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, you know, it was an interesting. Uh, it was, it was nice to see Ralph happy. <laughs> well, that's good. You know, and it's funny you mentioned that, Jerry, because I found something else trying to do some research on this. Um, when I was looking for any, you know, current appearances or the most recent appearances for Dr. Light as far as the villain was going. 
And one of the topics uh, came up when I got a hit was a uh, DC blog post that had this to say about uh, Dr. Light. Mm -hmm. In the New 52, Dr. Light is not the same character you may recall from his previous incarnations. Mm -hmm. This time around, he's a virtuous family man who is both a good husband and father. So it's like I'm wondering if if what you've just told me and then what I just found with Dr. Light, if uh, DC's not distancing itself a little bit from the events of uh, Identity Crisis. Oh, could very well be. Could very well. Be. That's a that's a great find. So, you know, I think the the other thing that, you know, when I when I read the recap, I skipped over a lot of side stories, right? I just kind of went through the main line of the main mystery. There are an awful lot of side stories to this. And for me, I, I think for people that are really invested in some of the characters uh, that they do this with, I think that it's probably interesting. Uh, but I found it to be a little um, uh, it, like the plot was wandering around a little. There's a, uh, a, a number of pages in, a, in an abandoned uh, satellite where a bunch of bad guys are kind of collecting and... Um, and it really, there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of characters that look like they're being introduced, and then you never see them again. So, you know, I'm sure that for people that like those characters, it was like a nice little Easter egg. Oh, look at, you know, check this out. The whole, right. there's, there's a whole story of Boomerang, you know, with him finding his son and getting these contracts and wanting to be a, a bigger hero. And then his motivation for taking the contract, I guess, to go and harass, um, Jack Drake, but it just seemed like it was a whole bunch of nothing, um, at least within the confines of this story. So that was a little frustrating for me. I think I enjoyed that part a little bit more than you did. I think, you know, with seeing like sort of these B-list villains like the Monocle or uh, Captain Boomerang and uh, Shadow Thief, there were some characters in here who at least were sort of like, you know, really... Uh, villains that were on the top of the game and now you you see this thing they, they sort of all of a sudden have gone down to like really uh slumming it for whatever the calculator can 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 us up for them chronos uh, thank you yeah that was another one so if, if you're into that sort of thing there was that jerry one of the questions i was looking forward to asking you and this is not going to be something that has an easy answer for um <laughs> Where do you stand with the whole uh, Zatanna mind-wiping thing? Um, you had a faction of the League uh, when it was put to a vote that was decided. Mm -hmm. You know, one one group was going to go one way for it. One group was going to be against it. Barry was the deciding vote to uh, go ahead with it, mm -hmm. which shocked Wally. Um, did, this, did this change your perception of the Zatanna character? Do you think this her actions and... These actions of uh, the group that went for this, do you think this was in character? Did this uh, affect you in any way? Uh, you know, my first when I first read it, I kind of was wondering, frankly, what the big deal was. It seemed like a pretty good idea to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> and But then I guess I, the more I thought about it, I realized, well, if, they, if this was so easy, why don't they mind wipe Joker? Why don't they mind wipe everybody? Right. All the bad villains. Right. So why send them to Arkham? Why not send them to D Zatanna? And uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think that, you know, kind of I, I see the more I thought about it, I guess I see why 
uh, it was such a big deal to some of the characters that it was a really bad thing and why Batman would be so upset about it. But, uh, what my first impulse is, huh, that's a great idea. How about yourself? What do you think? I, I had some mixed feelings. Like you, I think there, there was a little degree of plausibility to it. Uh, it certainly fixes a lot of things, especially when your identity gets discovered and, and you've got then the chain of thought as Green Arrow pointed out, uh, well, if, if not for this, then this is the ramifications and this is, this is the end result. We're just kind of protecting our own and this is why we're doing it. When you get to the point though where you can't share the trust with your quote coworker and this is not, uh, with Batman is, is, is being mind wipe and, uh, mm-hmm. Superman is only hearing what he wants to hear as, as it was said. Uh, I had some problems with that. That said, you can't all agree, though, I think, uh, with what they're doing. And it was a very uncomfortable thing to see, but how it was played out, you can see the rational as to the why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll always question as to if this was just or not just. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's, it's definitely, uh, something that's a little more interesting that, uh, a, a kind of an ethical <laughs> dilemma that we don't get in a lot of, uh, a lot of stories like this. So I, I appreciated the kind of conflict that it brought up, a very specific and, uh, something that probably if this was anywhere close to real, that would, things like this would come up probably a lot more often. One of the things I wonder too, if is, is if this was some editorial mentorship with the death of Jack, uh, was that totally necessary to the story? Uh, was the death of Firestorm totally necessary to the story? I don't think they were. Um, it, it sort of served as a plot device that we uh, sort of put the two and two together to eliminate suspects. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, boy, the death of uh, Jack Drake, really? I mean, yeah. you know, you're taking the way the, the, the Tim's father figure, and now he has to look up to Batman. I just thought that sort of came off as a little cheap to me. I, I, I don't know how, if it, if it had any weight with you, Jerry. Yeah, I, I wasn't happy to see it. Um, and we, there's a high body count of, of real characters in this, uh, in this story, uh, with, between Jack. I mean, he was, he was in, uh, he, he was in war games. He was in quite a number of things, um, with Tim. And th- that, that must have been, uh, kind of interesting, uh, having him, die at this time after, you know, with what was going on, uh, with Tim at that time. So, um, you know, Boomerang, I don't know how, how prevalent he was at, you know, as a character in those years, but, you know, we had a, a pretty decent body count, uh, in this. So, uh, yeah, was- you, you did mention Boomerang too. And I did, I did like the scene with his son quite a bit. And we found out that, you know, the, the, these villains sort of seem for tabloid fodder at the end. And we were questioning if he had a tryst with the, the flash villain golden glider. Right. And we see that his son had somehow has some kind of power uh, that, uh, that he got. And yet he, the, the, the tryst did indeed occur. Uh-huh. And there were some, there were some just weird moments. I mean, you know, it was sort of like, well, wouldn't it stand to reason that a uh, super villain had a, had an affair with another one and, uh, they had a, had some offspring and then, um, this is, this is the life. This is sort of the stuff we, we don't usually get to see in the comics these, you know, um, like Watchmen, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, I thought those scenes were pretty, uh, 
well depicted for what they were, um, which leads me to the artwork. What did you think of the art in this uh, book? Well, there was a couple of uh, a couple of scenes that I thought were really good. I thought that the the funeral scene for uh, for Sue was really really kind of cool. They were kind of all you know all the the heroes were kind of at the front of the church. And the, you know, other gawkers were sitting further in the back. I thought it was really visually kind of beautiful. Um, the, the art. Yeah. This was almost like a go ahead. Two page poster spread almost. Yeah. You know, you had the, the, the heroes in one section, the regular mourners in the back and, uh, the accommodations you had to make for the costume people. It was, it was just really, uh, a masterpiece and that, that I thought I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that's the perfect word. It seems, and it has that feeling of being a masterpiece, just a really stunning with, and with the anguish, you know, with the people really, really upset. I thought it was, I, I like the art in this, in this book, even though it's not the normal kind of thing that I would like. It's a lot of detail, like scratchy little detail. And I wouldn't say that the, you know, the, the, the people, the characters are depicted um always with you know the right perspective it's not bad it's not bad at all it's just very um you know it's got its own style to it uh and but you know a lot of the the smaller scenes a lot of the smaller panels where there's a lot going on there's sometimes a, a little hard to decode what's what but then you get these beautiful big um full page spreads or or big you know major parts of the page uh, panels and they look really, really cool. So I like the art in this book. Yeah, I did too. I thought the uh, fight scene that they had, the league had with Deathstroke was really, really yeah. well done. You had the movements there. Uh, there's a scene where um, the, there was like a little clandestine meeting with some of the leaders and then uh, flash gets spotted or the Hawkman senses something else. And just the way you see his eye, I thought was really done. The facial expressions were excellent. And as I mentioned uh, prior to the recap, uh, Rags Morales based a lot of the characters off of famous people and actors. And I did have a short list here of uh, who was who. Yeah. So for elongated man, he was based on Danny Kay and Dick Van Dyke. Oh. Sue Dibney was based on Don Wells. Oh. And I don't know if I saw some resemblance there. Maybe around the eyes a little bit in the hair. But uh, mm-hmm. but uh, Sue Dibney was Don Wells. Batman and the villain The Wizard was based on Tom Selleck. Okay. Uh, yeah. And sense. Wonder Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman was based on uh, the actress Julie Strain. I don't know. Barry Allen. Uh, she's a B-film star. She's she's done some of uh, oh some cheesy campy work but yeah b film star is what i'd say like that uh i think she was black scorpion uh who, who, like a corman thing yeah uh, barry allen was based on john hurt wally west brad pitt hal jordan was pierce brosnan uh the look for green arrow was someone called lane staley i'm not familiar with him yeah black canary uh the, her look was based on rebecca Romaine stamos uh, and former catwoman michelle pfeiffer uh, a young Paul Newman was used to uh, depict Ray Palmer. Leslie Ann Warren was used for Gene Loring. Phoebe Cates was used for Zatanna. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Who else did we have on the list? Yeah. Um, Gina Davis was uh, used for the Vixen. And Johnny Depp was used for Nightwing. 
Um, model Naomi Campbell was used for Starfire. Leonard Nimoy was used for Felix Faust. He didn't appear too much, but you could definitely see some resemblance there. Ricardo Montalban was used for the uh, villain uh, Merlin. And, oh, no, get this. Uh, Jackie Martling, former uh, joke writer for Howard Stern and uh, porn star Ron Jeremy, both were incorporated for the look of Captain Boomerang in this book. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, great information. Owen was uh, based on an album. Yeah. Uh, Justin Timberlake and James Dean. Yeah, this was in the back of the book, and I had no idea uh, until we got to look at the trade that all this information was there because I was only going off of uh, uh, the, the collected single issues that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. A couple more. Uh, Firehawk, who was shown early on talking to Elongated Man. Uh, she was based on Patty Hearst. Uh, Patty Hearst, of all people. Wow. Uh, Mirror Master was based on Eric Roberts. Uh, let's see. And who else do we have? Oh, James Woods was the calculator. So uh, that was really interesting. There are a couple other minor parts. Um, the shining Knight uh, was based on John Cleese and, uh, Dr. Moon was based on Jerry Lewis and phobia, who is also in scene with Dr. Moon in one panel was based on Carolyn Jones. Kronos, who Jerry mentioned before was based on, uh, Joe Torrey, a former manager for the Atlanta Braves and New York Yankees. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, boy, he really went to town with uh, sure these faces did. here. That's great. And the faces are really well done. I mean, the, like you said, the expressions of them, especially like, uh, uh, you know, in some of the fights, you know, with the, you know, people taking punches and stuff like that and, and really, you know, effort, you know, giving big effort. I think, it, I think it's a really well done, uh, expression, you know, facially. I think it, it looks great. Mm-hmm. One thing that you mentioned before, you mentioned about the fights being good. And there was one thing in particular with the Deathstroke fight that I really liked when he was going after Green Arrow. And uh I forget wh- whether it was with a sword or he takes a sword to him and Green Arrow's, aha, you're not going to hit me with that. And Deathstroke's <laughs> like, I'm not trying to hit you. And he cut all, all, the, all the ends off his arrows. <laughs> and I thought that was yes. a really, really good touch. I thought it was too. I, I, there was just some scenes here that were just really, really well thought out with respect to the battle. I've, it made me, I always hated Deathstroke, but you always see how tactician he is when, whenever he encounters with a fight. And here was no different. This was probably one of his, uh, if you're a fan of the character, this was one of his definitely, uh, better moments here in the book. Definitely, definitely. Well, that's fantastic. So, uh, what do you think? What do you think in terms of, uh, of a rating and a recommendation for this? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, by no means am I condoning, uh, I'm saying I appreciate, uh, depictions of violence, rape, extreme, uh, things here. That said, you, you're looking at things from adult perspective in a comic book that I don't think DC's ever given us before. Mm-hmm. For that, I think there are some very hard to swallow moments, but that said, I think this does, force a longtime comic reader to ask yourself questions. Mm -hmm. I don't think DC's gone and done anything as heavy since we had this one moment where a lot of things are examined and they haven't been examined since. And for that, I I, I think this is uh, a very compelling piece of work. You may not like it, but I think it is worth a read. I am going to fall short of the masterpiece because I just think some of the violence just went out of hand for me with, with Firestorm. I can, uh, Jack, I can say, but Sue, there, there's sort of some tough 
things here. I'm going to have to go four out of five, though. I think this is something that um, it's not going to be for everybody. And if you don't like it, I'll certainly understand why. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a lot of things that is examined and a lot of tropes are addressed and a lot of things are thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. We, 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 this is almost like the death of the silver age comic book in a sense. And if, if it happened, it was here. Um, one thing I will even go a little further as far as recommending it. This story also uh, referenced events that occurred in the story. Uh, we saw some panels where the society, secret society of supervillains traded places with the heroes. And that actually occurred in a story that took place in a three issue story arc back in 1979, justice league of America's number 166 to 168. That story was written by Jerry Conway. And I tried to see if there was any interview with Conway and what he thought about identity crisis. If such an interview exists, I couldn't find it online, mm-hmm. but in the story, the secret society of supervillains switched bodies with some of the members of the Justice League of America. And if you have any mild interest in identity crisis, I do recommend seeking out the story. Now, that said, the original individual issues are pretty expensive. It could probably set you back 40 to $50. Mm. But the story has been reprinted twice, once in the JLA Greatest Stories Ever Told trade paperback mm-hmm. and in a comic book titled DC Universe Special Justice League of America Number 1. And you can find those at a pretty modest cost. And if you have... Any interest to see a classic JLA story and something that had a foundation and was a key story element in Identity Crisis, I would seek out that volume. Mm. Jerry, I'm going four. We're at a few on this. So I think that um, I'm going to go with three. And I don't think that's a bad rating in my in my mind. Uh, but... I think that I'm not as enamored of a lot of the, you know, a lot of these kind of characters that, that made going through this, uh, as, uh, worthwhile for me as it, as it did for you. I thought that the, it bothered me. I think, uh, I think the, the, particularly with Gene being the the villain of the piece i think really kind of threw me and soured me a little on the story as a whole however saying that this is a very mature and i don't mean mature meaning you know adult or anything although it is but what i mean it's it's a mature uh story and there are real kind of ethical issues that these characters go through and if you're a fan of some of these lesser characters i think that there is an awful lot in it for you it's just that i'm not as much uh so it didn't you know i wasn't flipping pages going oh look at this oh look at hey look it's it's a monocle and you know all that stuff because um you know i don't i don't get that uh feel from from a lot of those characters and so between that and, uh, you know, the, the, some of the side stories were kind of dead ends, but, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of, of, uh, Captain Boomerang fans. There's a lot of, you know, fans of these, of these folks. I, you know, I do like, uh, Ralph and Sue, but, uh, you know, Sue doesn't last too long in this book. So, uh, so for me, if, if you're a Justice League fan, if you like, if you're a, you know, somebody that, that loves these, uh, kind of, you know, let, I won't say minor characters, but not the A team, you know, and maybe not even the B team, uh, but people love them. I would say that definitely I would recommend the story to you with the caveat about the, um, adult content. 
But, um, you know, but for myself, you know, while I recognize that, you know, I, I would not call this something I didn't like. I recognize that I think this is a very good story that just didn't connect with me personally. That said, I'm, I am glad that we were asked to look at it because ordinarily this is, this is something you would not necessarily quote and find on a quote back book. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a Justice League story, but you wouldn't find it maybe under uh, J or B for Batman. This is simply Identity Crisis. Yeah. And we did have a key bat moment with uh, Batman and uh, Tim and the death of his father, Jack. So I am glad we did get to look at it and have a discussion about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's so that's all we have about this story. Uh, now we are, you know, Chris and I do this podcast through the BatmanUniverse.net, uh, family of podcasts and, uh, TBU has a Patreon account. So if you are interested in supporting the work Chris and I do and some of the other really, really good podcasts, uh, there's the, the comic podcast, everyone loves the Drake, Batgirl to Oracle, please feel free, uh, to go out to the, the batmanuniverse.net and there's a patreon link and please uh, uh give us a hand give us a, a donation if you're able and we would really appreciate that to keep uh keep the wheels turning on this thing and now speaking of batgirl the oracle chris you're doing some work on that podcast aren't you Yes, uh, shortly at the time of this, hopefully the episode will have already dropped where I'll be looking at the final issue of Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77. I also am going to have a short tribute to Adam West, uh, in my own words. We did a lengthier one uh, that Jerry and I did, but I, I had a few recollections, uh, and that was nice to share. Yes, uh, it it's a little bittersweet, you know, uh, with, with the, uh, this, that being the last issue and the, the, uh, Death and passing of Adam West, but yeah, I'm over there, and uh, and soon I have to look forward to the Batman 66 meets the Legion of Superheroes. So I'm really eager to see how they pull that off. Yeah, so I hope you give us a check out on Batgirl to Oracle, where you can find me. Mm -hmm. Now, Jerry, if you want to see some excellent written reviews, I can point you to the BatmanUniverse.net, where my partner reviews Mother Panic. And he also reviews the Batman 66 title. That's right. Jerry, how's that going for you? I, I mean, I just uh, finished up the the Wonder Woman meets Wonder Woman, and I just loved it. I thought it was the it's the best Batman 66. I, I think it's finished uh, on such a high note. And uh, for fans of the show, if you're a nostalgia fan, a Batman fan from the old days, I, I couldn't recommend Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman more. I thought it was terrific. Oh, absolutely. And I, I want to also give a plug to Jerry because he does some excellent uh, 140 character reviews over at his Twitter handle, at Professor Frenzy. That's me. And he covers his favorite DC books, and he also looks at Dark Shadows, some indie comics, <laughs> and he tweets uh, during horror movies at hashtag <laughs> Svengoolie on Saturday nights, where I can always count on a good laugh with him and all my Svengoolie friends yeah. on the Twitter feed at Svengoolie. Jerry, I tell you, I, I keep down, uh, doing Star Trek, Wonder Woman, uh-huh. the whole sci-fi Saturday night lineup on MeTV is just a blast. So um, join, join the pool. There's plenty of room. Yeah, it's, it's right. great. Uh, we had, uh, Clinton Robeson joined us, uh, a couple last, last Saturday and, and it was just such a good time. Now, now Chris, if you want to, if you want to, uh, find Chris out on Twitter, he is at BTO and Bat Books. That's at BTO and Bat Books. So if you're, uh, interested in coming out and saying hello on a Saturday night, 
go over to, to either Spenguli or the MeTV sites, and you can find us there. Absolutely. It was, it's a lot of great fun. And speaking of Glenn, uh, shout out to him and his great coffee and comics podcast. He's, he's a fantastic, uh, fantastic show. Fantastic show. Uh, any other mentions that we have? Well, uh, we also have, uh, uh, the cosmic treadmill, which is Chris Sheehan at Ace Comics and at Reggie Reggie. So, uh, uh, Chris and Reggie, they discuss classic comics in terrific detail. And they've also been doing some really good historical, um, um, comic uh, podcast. So if you're interested in the history of comic books, go, they, I, I just, they did one on Charlton comics and, uh, they just did, uh, uh, the comic code a couple of months ago. So really good stuff. I, I definitely recommend, uh, their, their podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's see. We also had, uh, Bill Beer at Gotham Night uh, 13, uh, with the two old and two new podcasts. Always a great supporter of our show. Yep. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? We have Mike at I'm the Gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, uh, that, uh, fine, fine show. Also, we're going to give a new shout out to Mike and Paul at Waiting for Doom, Waiting oh, for Doom yeah. podcast, which examines the Doom Patrol. They just recently played our promo and I can't thank Mike and Paul enough and we hope to reciprocate for you very, very soon. But uh, we also got, yeah, we also got, uh, likes on Twitter from, uh, Steve Ray at, uh, at El Stevo. Randall Andrews, of course, gave us a nice shout out for, for the report. Mark D. White at, uh, Prof M. D. White. And we also had, uh, Justice's First on at Classic JLA. And of course, Joe Crawford once again chimed in with a nice like at J3K underscore C. So can't thank you all enough for all those two that we got. Oh, and I would be remiss, uh, for a couple of other things. Uh, we do have the Sutherlands. Of course. Uh, uh of course, we great friends of ours. Uh, yeah. we're, we've been very fortunate to to have encountered them in, in the uh, podcasting family and the Twitter family out there. Mm-hmm. The Sutherland, Darren and Ruth, and I just envied them because I couldn't go down to North Carolina to the con and encounter mm-hmm. some great people. Hopefully that'll pan out in the near future when we can all connect and have some nice discussion and talk and what have, mm-hmm. have you. But the Sutherlands, uh, they uh, co-host together Warlord Worlds, which examines the art of Michael Xenophiles, which looks at the incredibly talented work of Mark Schultz in the oh. calendar, the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs series, and of course Trekker Talk, yeah. which looks at uh, the work of Ron Randall and Mercy Swain Clara in the Trekker title. And we've just been really, really blessed. Uh, they came back from a recent convention, and I know uh, we've been very fortunate enough to have been gifted some uh, signed uh, copies of the trade with, with Ron Renner with a very nice sketch included. Oh, yeah. And I was really, really floored I know. upon receiving my copy. And it was just, just, just incredible. Sure. Um, one other thing, uh, we, Jerry and I also recently did an Adam West special. That's right. And I was astonished that it got 53 likes and 19 retweets, <laughs> including a retweet by Scott Snyder on the TPU Twitter feed. That so I was very, very flattered. Yeah, wasn't that something? And it also got 15 likes and 14 retweets on my own wow. feed. Um, shout out to Scott Snyder, uh, the Twitter handle Comics in the Golden Age, Matthew Wright, and Chris D., very good friend of mine, whose birthday it is today, uh, author of the Cattails uh, Catwoman fan fiction. So wow. shout out to Christy, who also gave us a very nice acknowledgement, and she did a lot of uh, 
uh, promotion for our Adam West special, which wasn't on our regular feed, but if you, right. it's still there, if you can find it, it's on the uh, Batman Universe specials. And uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, I hope you go out and find it because uh, I, I'm really proud of uh, the conversation that we had. I think it's, uh, we did uh, Adam West justice with a nice uh, look back and recollections and memories of him and the Batman TV series. Yeah. And, you know, since we did that, it's all also I've been really um, appreciating Burt Ward, you know, he's, he's got a lot of work that he does out there. And, uh, you know, he, he works a lot with animals, with dogs. And, uh, he's got, you know, for folks that are, that are interested in kind of feeling like they're missing Adam West, we still have Burt Ward and he's doing great work. So definitely you should go out there and follow him and see what he's up to. That's a great, that's a great catch too. And I tell you, I was very fortunate enough to meet Ward uh, on three different occasions when once in the seventies as a kid and, uh, in the eighties and nineties and, uh, couldn't have been a more gracious person to meet. Uh, and he, he was, uh, very, very, uh, sharp and very witty. When I first met him, I was in the, it was at a five and dime chain called TG and Y and I was eight years old and he showed up in costume. And Ward had the uncanny knack to wherever, to sense wherever the camera was ready for a shot to get him, he would turn towards it immediately. He just did not miss a beat. So I don't know if that was coming after, uh, hundreds, possibly thousands of, uh, public appearances, but boy, um, just very sharp, very gracious, um, uh, you, you really know you, uh, had a nice encounter after you met Bert Ward because, uh, couldn't couldn't have been uh, a more uh, genuine and always smiling and always glad to see you. Yeah, it was really really good. That's terrific. Yeah. So, so Jerry, uh, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. So we have, uh, as as you know, we have a Gates of Gotham giveaway. We're giving away the book Gate, Gates of Gotham to the lucky people who were selected from uh, giving us an iTunes review, and we have a winner, don't we, Chris? We do, and I can't wait to announce it, but I'm going to give the honors to you, Jerry, since oh. you had a big hand in doing this promotion. Thank but you. I know who this person is, and I hope they're – I'm so – yeah, this is really good. So, Jerry, who is our winner? Our winner is can, – can I get a drum roll? You know? <laughs> Clinton Robinson. Congratulations, Clinton. Oh, Wow. That's great. Thank you so much for, uh, for your kind comments. And we're so happy that, uh, to announce that you've won the copy of Gates of Gotham that, uh, that was helped. We were, we were, we got it through Carmine, uh, Street Comics and here in New York City. So congratulations, Clinton. And we will be in touch to send you your, uh, your, your book. So thank you. Thank you very much, Clinton, and congratulations. Now, before we go, I I just want to throw in one thing real quick. We did get one comment on our last episode, and this was from Ian Prime. Uh I just didn't want to give him a shout-out. So uh, based on our last podcast, we did get some feedback. Here it is. Ian writes, excellent coverage. I tend to agree that Steph's actual death scene where Batman tells her that she is, quote, part of a legend, is very moving. So much so that I tag all my posts with Steph's brief time as Robin with that phrase in my blog. Wow. However, I think the fight between Steph and Black Mask is incredibly poorly written. Why does she get shot as a, quote, reward for deciding that Batman is right and she can't deal out death as judgment as a vigilante? Mm -hmm. The mixed messages that that narrative are 
are staggering, mm-hmm. especially since Steph already learned the lessons of as Robin in Detective Comics 796 when she faced Saz. Additionally, the purpose of this story seems to be the same of that of Death of the Family by Snyder to isolate Batman again. But I wish the Bat writers would get it through their heads. Batman is made worse, not better, when he pushes the family away. This kind of story is only worthwhile if you make it a point to have Batman and his family come back together at the end, or in a follow-up story, like Rucka and Brubaker did in Bruce Wayne Murderer slash Fugitive. To just try to set up a status quo of Batman being brutal and alone does nothing but make readers mad and the character insane instead of heroic. Well, Ian, thank you very much for writing it, and I just wanted to give you a shout out. Those are all very well thought out and concise thoughts, and I couldn't agree with more on your points there. So if you want to write in, please do so at the uh, Batman Universe website on our feed. We can't thank you enough for that. And and I'll also, uh, I, I think a lot of it is is due to the fact that nobody likes seeing Steph killed. Nobody. <laughs> and so it's just, uh, uh, yeah, uh, we, we already had this. Especially had Ian, this. but yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's right. He's right. So <laughs> uh, great. Thanks for that, uh, for that pickup. So thank you everyone for listening and join Chris and I next time we'll, where we will be discussing Batman Dark Detective. So I'm Jerry. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm Chris. And we're saying goodbye for now. And thank you for tuning in to Bet Books for Beginners.